When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Welcome to episode 50 of In the Pen, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host, Count Elsinger, joined as always by Rick Cram and Jake Crumpler. It's kind of fitting that after the trade deadline, we get to uh, episode 50. Not going to lie, if I told you that uh, I wasn't sure we would get it this, make it this far, but I'm glad Nick somehow sees some value in hearing us talk about relievers. So, uh, you know, guys, we made it through a trade deadline. Jake, there were some talks about switching you over to on the wire, but, you know, we just couldn't find the right compensation for you. So you're lucky. You're stuck around. So the gang's back together. How did you guys enjoy your uh, your deadline? Yeah, it was uh, very, very interesting. I think we saw the big moves before yesterday, uh, before Tuesday, you know. Uh, yesterday, Tuesday, the deadline itself was a bit weird. I think, you know, you and me, especially Cal, and we... Uh, Red Sox Yankees fans didn't really get too ex- can't get too excited about anything but um yeah it's it's always an interesting day and fun to see any sort of moves you know happening let me join in on your deadline misery the giants yeah. i feel like had the worst deadline they literally did nothing aj pollock doesn't really do it for me but yeah i can't believe we made it to number 50 i forgot we didn't even mention it while we were uh ready warming up for the podcast but <clears> yeah <throat> i haven't been here for all 50 but uh, it's been a good time for the second half of those 50, and I, I hope we can do 50 or 150 more. Yeah. It's been set the, set the, good set the bar so low. We'll do another 10 or so, then we can start talking about the next 50. Okay, but okay. It, That's fair. It's been, a good, it's been a good addition to the show. It's definitely Six nice. seasons in a movie. Ooh, <laughs> I like that idea. Trying to think what actor I'd want to play me, but that's probably a conversation for an off-season show, because we have a lot of moves to get to, like Jake and like we alluded to at the beginning of the show, it was trade deadline season. And while my Yankees only added one reliever and the Red Sox only added Luis Arias and the Giants only added AJ Pollock, your fantasy teams are going to be impacted by these moves. So we want to talk about a lot of that. We tried to preview it. And of course, literally the minute we hit save and submit to get put up there, uh, David Robertson gets traded. So we'll get all to, into that and a lot more in just a few minutes. But we'll start with some of the injuries. A couple impact injuries happened as well, including the big one. Jordan Romano was placed on the 15-day IL for the Toronto Blue Jays with lower back inflammation, which led to a subsequent move at the deadline. So before we get into the impact of that move, what's our current read out in Toronto? Because that reliever is only pitched in the eighth inning as we're recording this. So do you guys have a favorite for saves in Toronto at the moment before we get deeper into that move? Yeah, well... I guess we can, uh, we might as well talk about it, let the cat out of the bag that, um, you know, Blue Jays added Jordan Hicks. Um, I think everyone thought he was going to be the fill and closer until Romano returns. But, you know, as we're talking right now, Eric Swanson's pitching the ninth inning after Hicks threw the, uh, extra Hicks through the eighth inning. So that might, uh, be a little bit of a, it might be a com- more of a committee than we thought, or maybe it's just Swanson's the favorite with, with Hicks getting the eighth, um, right now I still I think it makes sense to roster both Swanson and Hicks until we figure this out. I, I don't know, I don't expect Romano to be out that long, but you know, back injuries can always linger. That's that's a, that's a tricky one, especially it seems like he's been dealing with it for a while. So uh, I'd expect him to be back in, in August at some point, but you know, it's still not it's still worth a shot if you're in a deeper league to take a chance on uh, Swanson or Hicks. It says he's already picked up a ball and he's playing catch on flat ground uh, as early as today. So he could be back on first eligible August 13th. It'll probably be closer to August 20th, but I don't think it's going to be an extended absence just a little longer than two weeks. So that really shouldn't hurt too much. And there won't be too many vulture save opportunities. I, I know there's guys that are, are worth it to pick up. I think Hicks should be owned in the majority of leagues, especially holds leagues. But the fact that the Blue Jays 
haven't been able to stick to one guy, I think sort of makes that situation much less appealing, right? Because you don't, you don't just get to like go out and get Hicks and then he gets all the saves while uh, Romano's gone. And then it's the top setup guy. It's like, all right, we don't know if it's going to be Hicks, Swanson, Garcia, or Meza any given night. So, so you're sort of getting screwed. So basically there, you just want to go for the ratios or the strikeouts, whichever guy you would be picking up anyway to like vulture a save on any other given day. That's probably the, the best way to go because uh, it's sort of a, a crap shoot right now. And as you say that, Eric Swanson just nailed down the save for Blue Jays after picking off. Uh, I couldn't tell who was watching that game on iPad at first base. So there we go. We got some answer there. But like you said, it's going to be a, a committee. I expect Romano to be back pretty quickly after the uh, 15 days are up and he'll jump right back in the stay there as well. But Hicks will be good for the ratios. He's still someone you want to roster. Unfortunate news out of Chicago for the White Sox. We had uh, talked about last week. Ronaldo Lopez got traded. We expected a lot of trades, and the White Sox moved a lot of guys in their pen. But the one person who was left standing was Liam Hendricks, who we know was on the IL. So we, everyone's thinking, great, Hendricks will come back and he'll be the closer. Unfortunately, that's not the case. He is going to undergo Tommy John surgery and will be out until 2025. Just some uh, extremely unfortunate news. Um, we can talk about wherever this leaves the White Sox. I know Gregory Santos has got a lot of hype right now in the fantasy industry. So are you guys buying into that hype? What's your first read on White Sox and anything further you want to add about Hendricks himself? Yeah, really, the news is terrible to hear. It's, um, you know, he'll, he'll be a free agent to be too. So it's, it's, you know, really tough, especially at his age coming back from that after dealing with you know, the cancer diagnosis and everything from last year. Um, it looks like, yeah, Gregory Santos is the, the the only kind of option left in that in that White Sox bullpen outside of Aaron Bummer maybe getting an occasional save here and there. But Santos is um, definitely the favorite, definitely the, the best, you know, the option to roster at this point. I mean, it's really, remember we talked about how good this White Sox bullpen was at one point this year. It's really, really bleak right now after, so bad (laughs) after Santos and kind of bummer. So like, yeah, Ryan Shaw is the next best option outside of those guys. He's like a (laughs) hundred. Yeah. He's he's 35. He's got an ERA over seven and they're like, yep, that's our second best right hander. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And then the rest of the guys are, I don't know, guys you never heard of. Tanner Banks and Jimmy Lambert are about the only guys and I wouldn't, wouldn't call them household names at all. But yeah, I'm really excited for Gregory Santos. I, I've sort of been talking him up for the past few months. His picture list page is bright red, which is really cool. Outside of the strikeouts, he's pretty much elite everywhere uh, and except for limiting hard contact but i think that's something that you can work around so i'm really excited for him to take over that role like like we both just said there's not too many guys there so i i don't think the other options are really going to be taking anything away from him the the one thing is the white Sox haven't been great this year and they likely just got worse so i don't see them winning too many games in the second half so that likely means not too many save opportunities for santos but i think that's fine i think he's going to give you great ratios, a decent amount of strikeouts. Maybe he increases those in the role, but that that should be fine. But yeah, the, the news about Hendricks is super unfortunate. I mentioned before the show that this has got to be one of the just worst years in general of life uh, to have for anybody just to go through a cancer diagnosis and, and come out the other side uh, better than ever and then go down with basically the toughest injury you have to face as a pitcher in baseball that that's just to have that happen in the, in the same year is super rough. So I, I hope for the quickest, best recovery for Hendricks. We likely won't see him pitch next year. So that's unfortunate, but uh, I, I don't think his career is just done just yet. I hopefully in a few years when we're still doing the show and breaking down relievers, we're uh, doing an off season show where we're talking about, Hendricks recovering from TJ and getting another shot somewhere and still competing for saves because he's one of the good guys in baseball, fan favorites. So I don't expect things to be done for him, but it's going to be a tough road back. But if anyone can beat it, Liam Hendricks has uh, has shown that throughout his career. The final two injuries from this, Austin Adams placed on 60-day IL with a fractured right ankle. Tim Hill placed on 15-day IL, sprained, sprained left ring finger. We don't have to go too in depth on those. We got a lot more exciting news to get into. So, uh, you know, monitor those situations close enough. But on to the trades, there is uh, a lot to go on. 
And I will start off with, uh, I guess, what we deemed the more most impactful moves. There's two ones where we think might be a, a clear closer switch. And it starts out in uh, Arizona as they acquire Paul Seawald from the Arizona Diamondbacks in a package that included Dominic Canzone and Josh Rojas. Obviously, if there's two sides to this coin, so we'll start out with Arizona, who's been we knew was going to make a move, and Rick had a big smile on his face in the group chat once this move was made. So, Rick, does Seawald step right back in, right in as the closer here in Arizona? Yeah, he should. Um, and they, it's a great move for Arizona. I, I think um, you know there was some talk about how like the prospects they gave up, but I. I you know they gave up a left-handed outfielder. They have plenty of them. They, I think it's a, it's a good. You know, I was hoping Arizona would also add a starter, but it's nice that they got the back end shored up a little bit here. They we'll called up a what, prospect. Yeah, Slade. He's. We'll see how he pitches. Slade. Tonight. That's a, that's <laughs> such a sick name, though. He's been yeah. struggling at AAA, but yeah, it's it is a cool great, name. But that name is sick. <laughs> um. But yeah, I I think Seawald's definitely. I don't think much changes if you are rostering him at this point. I don't think a lot changes. I I think it's a pretty much lateral move for fantasy aspect. Um, but it's it's great to see the Diamondbacks go out and, and be kind of aggressive here. You could sort of say he's got less competition. I mean, Andres Munoz I yeah. think is better than the rest of the the Diamondbacks bullpen and the Diamondbacks, like we'll talk about later, also dealt. Uh, Andrew Chafin, so that's one less guy for Seawald to deal with. So now it's basically just Seawald and McGuff at the back end of that bullpen. And uh, the way McGuff's been pitching recently, I don't, I don't think they're going to be too scared about him. So yeah, I think Seawald might even be more secure in Arizona. The Diamondbacks have been better than the Mariners this year, so more wins there. And they they bought at the deadline, so maybe more wins in the future as well. Um, I, I was interested to see how you guys felt about this trade from the Diamondback side uh, in terms of who they gave up. I know that's not really reliever centric, but right. I wasn't really like, I, I didn't think the trade was too crazy. I, at first glance, I was like, uh, the Mariners got absolutely robbed. Yeah. And I think it's mostly, I mostly had that idea because the big prospects that they got, uh, Canzone and Bliss were both like, uh, I would say underrated mm-hmm. in terms of prospect rankings. Like they were pretty low on MLB pipeline, but they've been crazy in the minor they have leagues been this year. Good years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think, cause I initially was like, Oh wow, the Diamondbacks got a steal here. And then, uh, one of my fantasy league mates was just like, are, are we dumb? Cause everybody on <laughs> Twitter is saying like, uh, the, the Mariners got a steal here. So, so I don't know. I, I think Seawald's been one of the best closers in baseball for like three straight years. And those are some prospects that they seem more like quad A guys. I don't know about Bliss yet. He just reached triple A. The can zone seems more quad A without like a, a natural position. And, and he's already 25 at triple A, but he's raking. So I don't know. What, what do you, what do you guys think here? Bliss is, Bliss is also like, I think he's only like five, five. He's a small guy. Oh he's, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah right. So, it, it's, it takes a lay out. Like, Altuve is really the only, I mean, guy who, yeah. But, um. Tony Kemp. Yeah, Tony Kemp. <laughs> sure. I mean, if he's Tony Kemp, that's probably, that's probably the best car, like, an accurate car, maybe, actually. Um, I, th- I think it's more to do with, you know, people saying the Mariners won the deal. I think it's just underrating. I mean, maybe I'm biased here, but underrating Paul Seawald. I, I think, um, it, that, it's not really a household name. I don't, I don't, you know, it's it's not Craig Kimbrell. It's not, you know, one of these big time closer names. Um, but I, I, I consider Seawald one of the best closers, you know, top five, ten in baseball. So yeah, uh, and if they get him for an extra year too. It's not just this year; it's also next year. So I think it's, I think it's a great move. Like you said, yeah, it's like probably some quad A guys. And I mean, Josh Rojas has been really, really bad this year. Bad. Has yeah. So, um. They're, they've kind of moved on from him anyway. So, yeah, I think it's a good deal for the Diamondbacks. Oh, I would agree. The best moves are those ones where you have both sides, where it's not clear. Like, they're out there in 20. You said you've yeah, seen some people talk about that, where it's the Diamondbacks got robbed. Or, oh, nope, now the Mariners get robbed. So, I think it's a fair deal. We'll see what Rojas do. Just a few years ago, he was uh, mid to upper half or so uh, picking fancy because he's got the speed. He's got positional flexibility, bliss. We'll see what he can turn into as a prospect, but a lot to like there. And Ken Zones was a key part for Dimebacks early on, and the Mariners had, are pretty right-handed heavy in their lineup, so adding some lefties can't hurt them. So mm-hmm. Overall, I think it works out for all sides. And Dimebacks, we talked about all season, how much of a 
bullpen need they they've had and mm-hmm. Paul Seawald was one of if not the best relievers that were truly available at this deadline while we wanted Jordan Hicks there and that probably maybe could have been better off but Seawald as Rick says pretty pretty dang underrated so I think it works out pretty nicely for for both sides yeah, and as and we then- talk Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Nope. Go right ahead. No, I, I was gonna uh, transition to the to the Mariners. You know what? That's exactly what I was gonna do. So take it yeah, away. Yeah, Let's that's why I said go ahead. Okay, <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll take it. My Mariners. <laughs> um. Yeah. Sure. Uh. Yeah. Then this leaves for the Mariners. Andres Munoz pretty clearly uh as, as the top guy there in Seattle. And I was mostly just interested to see where uh, Rick. Have you done rankings since? Yeah. The deadline. Mm-hmm. And then did you do you put Munoz on there? Sorry, I haven't looked at him. I did. I have him 11. Some, co-ho- some co-hosts. 11? Wow, I know, right? Fake fan. What do you want um, me to put? Who, it's, it's tough no, no, because... No, I'm, not, uh, yeah. I'm not arguing with it. I'm <laughs> just saying that that's, I, I didn't think about it at all. I was always yeah. wondering where he was. That, I, that's, that's crazy. It's, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's a lot of... It's, it's that top 15 still to me is the, is the same. And I think essentially he moves in um, to a spot where, you know, it's... Should I? People, I've heard a lot of Matt Brash like potentially getting some save opportunities and maybe them having a committee. But I believe today they uh, kind of squashed that and said that Munoz was going to be their primary closer moving forward, and he got a save today as well. So, yeah, um, yeah. I'm the only thing to worry about really with him is is like health because he's he's been on the IL a lot in his career. Yeah. Um. So it's similar to where where they don't Pete Fairbanks, where it's like as long as he's you know healthy and the closer, like he's a He's a must roster, you know, relief option. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think so. He, he's definitely really elite, at least in the velo and, and the strikeout rate department. And he does get a lot of ground balls too. So I, I think stuff wise, yeah, he's really good. I don't know how good the Mariners are going to be in the second half, but I don't think it really matters if, if, as long as their games are close and they win a decent amount of games. But yeah, that's crazy. Right behind Emmanuel Class A, in between Class A and Bednar, that, that's a that's a pretty solid spot to be but it, it'll be interesting to see if he can have those same skills as a closer because uh, yeah i mean this is a guy that, that could be a number one closer at some point but uh i, I think that'll take a, a better team and maybe a more secure role and in yeah. the first look at this since the uh, the trade was made uh one of the first looks to as we're recording this today on wednesday matt brash picked in pitching the seventh in a tie game between the uh, actually excuse me there were trailing the Red Sox by one in the seventh. Matt Brash held the lead. The Red Mariners ended up scoring four runs to take the lead, and Andres Munoz came in the ninth. Cool. So, Don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, as everyone, if you look at it that way, Munoz seems to have the... And he was the guy... With me. Brash was obviously rosterable for holds, but Munoz should be the clear go-to guy for saves going forward from Seattle. The next move happened maybe an hour after we recorded last week's episode where we talked about the Marlins getting a right-handed lever and David Robertson going somewhere. Well, that's a match we should have seen coming. David Robertson gets traded to the Miami Marlins for two young prospects. Um, and now we get that committee where uh, we think David Robertson's a favorite for saves, but we talked about how AJ Puck isn't fully going away and how good Tanner Scott's been. So, What's your read currently out Miami? Is David Robertson <laughs> the current favorite right now? Does are the lefties still people well, rosterable? I'm I'm laughing because well let's we'll start with after the trade was made, I believe it was, it was uh Craig Mesh, who's one of the best like, beat reporters around, said that David Robertson would get ninety percent of the Marlin saves. And he has been pretty bad since then. And as we're talking, literally three minutes ago, he just let up a two-run home run in the 10th in the oh a tie game gosh. in the 10th inning. So he's let up a couple of, of home runs since he's he's moved over there and probably gonna could potentially get a, another loss tonight. So not a great start for him there. I still think, you know, they traded for him. They're going to give him a chance to be the closer there. Uh, I know Tanner Scott's kind of struggled recently too. He's been you know, also dealing with some sort of injury. Uh, AJ Puck, I mean, there's just not a ton to you know say about him. He's, he's struggled all of July, so it's you know I still I still think Robertson's the guy to roster here. Um, and now this whole game has been weird. Craig Kimbrell's warming up in the tenth. Why didn't he pitch the ninth? They had they went to Soto for a save in the ninth inning. 
And now and he, maybe he they blew, were trying to rest him. He blew the save, and now they're going to count. Yeah, maybe. Uh, um, it, huh? <laughs> he rested. Yes, he didn't pitch yesterday. I, I know. So I don't know why they didn't pitch Kimbrel in the ninth. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I think Robertson back to the Marlins. Robertson's still who you want to roster. But if you still have like a like Puck or Scott on your roster and you haven't dropped them yeah. yet, maybe wait through the weekend and see see what happens here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's crazy. I mean, talking about a steal, they, uh, it's hard to sort of judge nineteen and eighteen year old batters, but both of these guys that the Mets got in return seem to be like risers. Like I think Marco yeah. Vargas is probably going to be like a top fifty prospect in within the next two years, and that's pretty crazy for for two months of a of a forty year old reliever. But and especially with the way that he's pitched in his first two games. But maybe if he can turn it around and the Marlins can have an extended postseason run, it won't really matter in the long run. But th- that one's definitely going to be interesting to watch. That has the the feeling of a James Shields for Fernando Tatis Jr. type trade, where it's just some unknown prospect that, that a team gets for a veteran pitcher. And then yeah. years later, you're like, oh my gosh, why did they do that? But yeah, yeah I, I think this bullpen at full strength looks really good. Like it, it if if everybody is pitching to their full abilities, like if Puck can figure things out, Tanner Scott can get healthy, and David Robertson can sort of relax a little bit. Th- that top three is very solid, and then to have the rest of the bullpen with Jorge Lopez with his upside, Stephen Okert's been great all year long. Chargois, Andrew Nardi's back. Quascar Brazavon has been very solid all year, and George Sor- Soriano is quietly mm-hmm. having a sub two year A. That's like nine guys that'll take you through any ball game and that's probably a a great feeling to have especially when you got such a good rotation and you added to that offense i think the marlins did pretty well at the deadline and that pitching staff is going to be scary to face if they can hold on and make it to the playoffs yeah you gotta like what you're seeing out in miami you move it over to the mets side of things there's a lot of talk about who's gonna come in there's we thought maybe it'd be a rally or out of vino split then everyone said hold up because they're likely to be dealt well, neither of them dealt. So if we have to pick a leader for the Mets going forward, is it Brooks Raley? Is it David Robertson? Drew Smith could fit in the picture. What's our read for the Mets? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe they didn't trade Raley. I'm, su- I'm surprised. I thought he would have been the, the top left-handed reliever op- uh, available. Um, but it's probably going to be a split between Raley and Ottavino, and both of them <laughs> blew saves yesterday. Uh, I think Raley ended up with the loss. But it's still going to be those two guys. And then, uh, yeah, Drew Smith, may, maybe maybe towards the end of the year, they start factoring him in. But, yeah, like this is another bullpen that just after the deadline kind of, yeah. you know, you look after those three guys, it's kind of it's kind of gross, the, the, mm-hmm. the rest of that bullpen. Yeah, at least, luckily they got Trevor Gott earlier. Yeah, <laughs> it would, wouldn't be looking too good. But, yeah, it does seem like it's going to be like a platoon situation. In the in the closer role because you you've got a righty you've got a lefty neither of them really stands leagues above the other one in, in any category I think Rayleigh's pitched better than Ottavino this year but Ottavino does have the handedness advantage and the experience advantage so it does really seem like it's just going to be a platoon like wh- whoever is available to pitch or based on matchups uh, we'll see I, I, it could be like an even fifty fifty split the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to look at that one because there's a lot of talk about the impact for closers and the teams that lose closers at where it's the biggest question mark and the biggest um, the biggest opening for us fantasy players. So we want to jump on that. I think Rayleigh right now seems to be the favorite, but monitor our situation closely because uh, we've seen what Ottavino can do. But Showalter has said he wants to, the tiebreaker is going to be youth and let's see what some people have. So maybe he wants to get some some different looks, maybe at least to. Uh, a Brooks Rayleigh back into the game. But Kendall Graveman is the next move that happened. He went from the White Sox, another move from the White Sox over to the Houston Astros. Obviously, he's not going to be competing with Ryan Presley for saves, but in your holds leagues, does Kendall Graveman have any sort of interest now as he joins a, a crowded Astro pen? Uh, yeah, he'll definitely. Uh, yeah, he has like a very deep holds leagues. It, 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 he's interesting, but I. I don't imagine he's going to... Naris has been pitching better. Abreu has been pitching better. Um, so he's, you know, at best, he's like your, your third setup option there uh, for Houston. So, um, 
not a priority roster. I don't think in any league outside of really, really deep holds leagues or maybe AL only formats, but he was probably already rostered at that point because he was closing games for the White Sox. So yeah, I, I think it's pretty safe to drop him and unless you're in one of those deeper, deeper formats. Yeah, second time in the last three years, Graveman's been traded to the Astros at the deadline, which is pretty interesting. They, they they sort of had a theme here at the deadline, just reacquiring guys that they had a couple of years ago as they also got Justin Verlander. But uh, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch sort of where Kendall Graveman lands on the bullpen ladder. Uh, is it going to be as the third guy outside of Naris and Abreu, or is it going to be like behind Maton and Stanek as, as one of the depth guys beside like Rafael Montero uh, because Graveman's numbers have been solid on the surface this year, but beneath the surface, they aren't as rosy and he is getting older. He's 32 now. He doesn't have the same stuff he used to, but you do have to trust the Astros a little bit. They acquired him for a reason. They have familiarity with him too, so they could get him back to normal. If we look at his numbers, the last time he got dealt at the deadline, it, I mean, it's sort of a different situation. Uh, it's somewhat similar because he was super good in Seattle. He was, yeah. He won 0.82 ERA. He had 10 saves. They traded him to the Astros. He had a 3.13 ERA the rest of the way, which maxed, which matched his XFIP in Seattle during that time. Um, so <laughs> you follow that thought. He's got a 3.48 ERA in Chicago this year, but it comes with a 4.84 XFIP. So if he's going to do the same exact thing he did, that time it's going to be a rough second half, but I, I sort of trust the Astros, but I, I don't think he's going to be pitching to a three and a half year. Right? I think he's going to be closer to four, but we'll, we'll see if they can help him reach, reach back to the old times. The good news is it's the Astros and they yeah. do a good job with pitchers. Exactly. But yeah, like you said, I mean, he's got like an 11% K to walk rate and a 41% ground ball rate, which usually he's, a, you know, he gets a lot of ground balls. So yeah, it's, they're, they're, they got some work to do with them. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to keep going with these moves, including a name we probably should have talked about earlier in the show as one of our favorite uh, winners from the trade deadline on a uh, last-place team. But all that and more on In the Pen. This podcast is sponsored by Underdog. Want to make money making picks on MLB games? Then you have to try Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. In Underdog's Pick'em game, you just pick your favorite baseball players and predict whether they will go higher or lower on stats like strikeouts, hits, and more. Pick to two to five players, get all your picks right, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Be sure to sign up with the promo code PITCHERLIST and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 so you have some bonus cash to start playing with. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy com or underdog fantasy in the app store sign up with promo code pitcher list and get your first deposit doubled up to $100 must be 18 year older 19 year older in Alabama and Nebraska 21 or older in Massachusetts and Arizona and present in a state where underdog fantasy operates terms apply concerned with your play call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org in Arizona call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in New York call 1-877-8 Hope and why in Tennessee call 1-800-889-9789. All right, we alluded to it right before the break, but one of our biggest winners from the deadlines, a name we mentioned throughout the season as a guy you should be keeping on your watch list, and it's Carlos Hernandez. That's because Scott Barlow has officially been dealt. He goes to the San Diego Padres to help get the ball to Josh Hader. We'll get into the impact for him uh, in just a moment, but let's talk about Carlos Hernandez first. If you were going to put him up with in terms of uh you know the Andres Munoz or the Brooks Raley where do you keep him in those sort of rankings of uh, guys you want to prioritize in ads I'll I'll take Hernandez over any one of those committee guys I think it, it's tough because the Royals are the Royals they're not they might not give you a ton of save opportunities but Hernandez is the the only kind of option that the the Royals have to close out games, so he's not he shouldn't be at least in a committee, and he's also been pitching you know really well all season. So at least if I'm not getting a ton of saves, I'm I'm getting you know I'm not getting wrecked in the ratio department, and he should help out with some strikeouts as well. So I'll take you know I, I put Hernandez right now at 21, but he, he could definitely climb up that list, um, you know, as the season progresses here towards 
the stretch. Yeah, I've been pumped about Hernandez all year because he added velocity this year. He was a hard thrower out of the rotation, but now that he's in the bullpen, he added a couple ticks and that sort of put him in that elite velocity range. And guys that do that have been on our radar since we did that podcast during the offseason last year. I mean, was that September? I think it was the offseason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah where we right looked here. into sort of how velocity can decipher who's going to be the next like big reliever and basically you just look at the velocity leaderboards and those are all the best relievers in baseball and Carlos Hernandez wasn't on there yet but when he added velocity he climbed up into that upper echelon and now seems to be one of the better relievers in baseball he was pretty unlucky in the first half and that seems to be turning around in the second half he's been pretty good I think since July 18th he's got a or June 18th he's got a sub two ERA and yeah if he's getting all the saves in Kansas City, while there might not be that many, I think he's going to be pitching pretty well. He already got a save before Barlow was even gone. So that sort of laid the groundwork for him to take over that closer role. And I I think he's going to be really good the rest of the year, even if he doesn't get too many saves. I mean, I I mentioned this sort of when we were talking about the A's in the preseason, that when the Royals do win, when the A's do win, they don't win by much. So there's going to be save opportunities when they do win. But yeah, it it might not be too many. And we talked about Scott Barlow. I think it's safe to say he's pretty droppable at this point outside of maybe some holds leagues. What kind of role do you expect him to have uh, out in San Diego? I'm sure he'll factor into some holds out there. Um, probably have more holds than he had saves with the with the Royals, but I don't... Um, you know, Suarez is still better. Wilson's still better. So Barlow kind of fits in, in between. Is that like secondary potential setup man um and he's just really been struggling lately so unless that the, unless he gets back to his you know april and may form or you know the padres change tinker something you know tinker with him somehow uh i i don't see him really being much of a factor this year however i think next year if hater does if leave in free agency i wonder if barlow might be a stopgap closing option for them at least to start the year i i, I could uh, i'd imagine the padres would want someone you know better but um, he, he he does have experience, and he will be. You know, he does. He's on the contract for one more year, so I don't know. Yeah, I I think Robert Suarez is better, but that's, that's sure. a topic for for the off season. Uh, I don't know. Josh Hader better be a little scared right now. Barley could take <laughs> over that role, but uh, all seriousness, he's been really unlucky this year. Uh, despite walking more batters than he ever has in his entire career, leading to the lowest strikeout to walk rate of his career. His XFIP still isn't that high. It's the second worst of his career, but it's 3.97 compared to a 5.35 ERA. And while I wouldn't say Kansas City's a, a poor ball, ballpark, and that's sort of why he was struggling, uh, the Padres is also a pretty solid ballpark. Petco Park is pretty good for pitchers too, so I I, I could see him doing a lot better. There, There's... A study that went around, uh, I, I forget who did it, but I, I listened to it on Effectively Wild before, that when players get traded from one league to the other in a year that they're struggling, they usually generally have a lot more success in the second half. So that whole idea of changing scenes, changing uh, changing teams to sort of g- give yourself a, a, a new start, when you're changing from one league to the other, and you struggled in the first half, there's a large correlation of better success, a lot more success in the second half. And a lot of that can be attributed to many other things outside of just changing leagues and stuff. But that does seem to be something that should be bought into, um, especially given that you have these underlying metrics that support a Barlow bounce back. So I don't know, maybe Barlow is actually going to be really good in San Diego. They really don't have a deep bullpen. I don't really see them making this postseason run that they're super hyped about, but he does give that bullpen a lot more depth, which it's been lacking all year. Speaking of bullpen depth, Milwaukee Brewers added some more to their bullpen. Obviously, he's not going to replace Devin Williams, but Andrew Chafin goes from the Arizona Diamondbacks to Milwaukee Brewers. Fantasy wise, you know, he's again, it's pretty droppable, but do we see him maybe as a, a holds option out there? Yeah, Chafin's just, he's definitely a holds option still. I think it's just, this is, you know, after the Seawall move, I, you know, I thought that was a great move for the Diamondbacks, but then they did this and I was like, what, what are we, what are we doing here? Because yeah. he's still a, he's still a quality, you know, setup option. Uh, he's a 
the best left-handed reliever they have. I know they have Nelson. They called all-star Joe Mantiply back up, but like, I, right. <laughs> you can, I, I don't see why you had, like, it felt like they felt like they needed to move Chafin. It just felt forced. And especially given the return, it's this very underwhelming move, but, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for Chafin in, um, in, in Milwaukee. Yeah. That's a, that's a good fit for, for him. It's a good team that, you know, develops relievers and does a really good job with their bullpen. So, and they needed a lefty there badly. I know Milner has been pitching well, but this gives them, they lost Justin Wilson. So this gives them a, a second. Oh lefty. my gosh. It's more. Yeah. Awesome. I know. That's, yeah. That sucks. Not even yeah. pitching, like warming up for your first <laughs> start back. You just terrible. shades of it's, Daniel Hudson. Yeah. I feel, feel terrible for a guy. Yeah, I I think Chafin definitely gives that bullpen some depth, and and it's honestly a, a quietly solid bullpen because oh, yeah. they they just have like a bunch of no name guys that people don't really know. Joel Piamps has been one of the best relievers in baseball this year, and I don't think mm-hmm. anybody really notices that because uh, he <laughs> doesn't have a a name that people know, and he's sort of setting up in a, in a small he, market team. He in was a, he was like a throw in to in that uh, Contreras trade earlier in the yeah. off season, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he's been incredible this year. Even Elvis Peguero, low strikeout rate, still been really good. And Milner, like you mentioned, and then they've got young guys like Abner Uribe going there. So Chafin definitely brings something that they don't have, a hard-throwing lefty, and, and that, that should be interesting uh, to watch. The Diamondbacks trade sort of makes sense in a vacuum in that they have a ton of lefty relievers. Yeah. This is It's sort of like if the, the Marlins were to deal uh, – I don't know, Stephen Oakert or something or Tanner Scott, uh, for, for a different right hander just to give more balance to that bullpen. The, the Diamondbacks do have Kyle Nelson. He's been pretty solid the whole year, uh, 2.85 year, a 31% strikeout rate. Solid maybe an understatement. He's been really good. And Joe Mantiply, all star Joe Mantiply. I think that explains itself. Um, so you do have lefties that, that can back up there. And then maybe adding Seawald sort of gives you that confidence of, Oh, like we've got this elite closer. We just need a couple setup guys and a little bit of depth and we've got the lefties already. So we're fine there. And then they do get Peter Strezlecki in return and with Chafin being a pending free agent, right? He's a, he doesn't have an option. Yes, I believe so. Um, yeah. So, so. With, Thank you. With with, uh, with with Chafin likely headed for free agency, you get Strezlecki, who's not a free agent until after 2028. And while he's likely not an elite reliever, that's a lot of difference between the years of control. He is already 28, which is something to factor in there. But yeah, he's going to be under team control for a long time. And he's been solid this year, four and a half ERA, uh, a strikeout rate of 23 0.7% and maybe they saw something with him too that they, they they think they can sort of make him a little better it's like I don't know maybe it's got that a Ryan Presley vibe where you know a, a solid reliever on another team that people don't really keep an eye on and then he goes somewhere else and becomes elite but I, I think this has more so to do with uh, the amount of control that was left it looks like Chafin 7.25 team option for next year oh that's that doesn't seem like something that's debatable. Yeah, it's, that's borderline. Yeah. So there is, there is a way that it makes sense, but if you factor in like, Oh, the, the diamondbacks are trying to add and, and, do well in the postseason. I I don't know. I I feel like you you might as well hold on to him, but it'll be interesting to see if they can help stress. Like he reach another level and, uh, how those lefties fare without Chafin being like the top dog. Has there ever been a guy who's just looks more fit to go play in Milwaukee? Like Andrew Chafin with a mustache and just a Perfect. long hair. Like it was like when he played in Detroit. Like he just has a look for like the central, like gritty sort of the team like that. So I think that's a, a great fit. Yeah, another lefty to get the ball to Williams. I think that's a, a really solid. And Shrzelski can help the Dimebacks. Like you said, it's not like they just traded a away for prospects they got another good bullpen arm for uh, like said, bullpen that's desperately needs as much arms they can get so you gotta like that from uh from both sides but the next trade we're gonna talk about is one that we've been predicting for about a month joe kelly went to the, to the los angeles dodgers stop me if you've heard one of us say that before um it's it, you can see it from a mile away it's a he's been there it's a, a great fit he'll join in already crowded pen but He'll help get the ball to uh, somebody in the back end there. So do we see Joe Kelly as someone you can circle watch lists for fantasy or see kind of more of a, of a depth farm? 
Uh, definitely an intriguing now from a, a holds league standpoint yeah. for sure. I, I mean, he was getting, he was having a ton of bad luck in Chicago, mm-hmm. and like we we've yeah we have been talking about Kelly to the Dodgers, and it just it just makes sense. It seems like they're gonna probably get the best out of him. That's what the Dodgers do. Um, so yeah, I, I think he could be a really big holds league asset over the next two two months. Definitely, yeah, because the. Dodgers don't have too much depth in that bullpen. It, yep. It's somewhat crowded in that they have possible names. They, they've got guys in the minors. They've got injured guys that could be coming back shortly, like Trinan, JP Fireisen, um, Shelby Miller's on the IL. I think he might be done for the year, actually. Um, and then, you've, of course, you've got Phillips and, and Bruce Dargrad are all there. Uh, but like you said, Kelly, super unlucky this year. He's actually got the lowest XFIP of his career at 3.10, despite having the one of the highest ERAs of his career. I think it's the third highest outside of 2016 and 2022. So super unlucky. He's got great strikeout to walk ratio numbers, 32% strikeout rate, 10% walk rate. That's definitely workable. And going to LA where they likely have a better defense than in Chicago that should help on the luck factor on balls in play. And yeah, I mean, Right now, Roster Resource has him as the third guy out of the Dodgers bullpen. That's a pretty solid place to be if you're going to get a lot of holds. And yeah, I, I, if you're in a holds league, I think Joe Kelly's a, a must grab right now, especially if he's being underrated because of his bloated ERA. And then on to the big winner of the uh, trade deadline. Uh, Kenya Milton, trade from the Chicago White Sox to my New York Yankees. Uh, a strength just gets even stronger. I don't fully know where he fits into this Yankee bullpen because Clay Holmes has been great and Kane Lee has been great and they're getting Jonathan Loisaga back soon and Michael King's been struggling a little bit. So I, I get the need to add a bullpen. I just, you know, bullpen. I just wish it, you know, wasn't the highlight of the trade deadline, but that's yeah. a topic for a whole different, uh, a whole different show. But do we see Middleton maybe playing in for holds from New York's or there's just too many arms for him to have any sort of a uh, fancy viability? I still think, like like you said, this is this is a great move, but it's not. It shouldn't be the the top move that the Yankees make, but it's a good move uh, on the surface. Just you know, this, you can never have too many you know bullpen arms, and even when they get Loisaga back, it's still you know there's still if you're gonna have some you know starting pit- pitching issues, especially towards the you know the back end of that rotation. Now you, you at least can shorten the game with you know the amount of bullpen options they have. So um, I don't know. He wasn't getting a ton of holds anyway in Chicago, and you probably won't get a ton here, but I still, I still like him. I still think he's an option in holds leagues and especially in deeper leagues. Um, Probably not like a top 25, 30 holds option, but he's still just based on the strikeout rate. I I think he's still a name to monitor. Yeah, there's, there's, a lot of guys there in, in New York, so it's sort of difficult to, to see him factoring into that. But like you said, he, he gets a lot of strikeouts. He's got the highest strikeout rate in that bullpen uh, as of now. It's pretty close with him and Clay Holmes. Uh, but there, there's a lot of options there. I'm sort of more interested in talking about Ron Marinaccio being an option because he's, mm-hmm. he's really solid this year. And so I, I was interested to see what Callen had to say and how he feels about Marinaccio being an option. I think it's the right move at the time. It was also part of it was we needed a starter for uh, the other day with uh, Domingo Herman's circumstances for uh, as a spot star, sure. and he was coming out of a long relief. We kind of burnt through the bullpen after Severino couldn't get out of the fourth inning, so Marnacci just had to eat innings. I think there's something there. Walks have just been an issue for him lately. I do think we'll see Marnaccio down the stretch. He'll probably be a you know, if not in August, a September call up, and he'll still play a role. The Yankees obviously had trust in him because he was a high leverage guy at the beginning of the season. He just the walks became a little bit too much. He had, I believe, uh, around a 13% walk rate. So he needs to work on that a little bit, but I still think there's a, a lot to like there. Just like you said, there's a lot of arms in New York, and someone had to go. So I think Martin Asho, just option wise, they just had to do it. That's that's definitely fair. I, I didn't realize his walk rate was that high, and uh, he's been struggling lately. Falling yeah. off a little, yeah, yeah. But uh, the way that the way that bullpen currently stands, I I think that's a very very solid bullpen. And if the Yankees can make a run, I mean, there's still a lot of season left. There's still a mm-hmm. third of the season left. Um, they definitely are not out of playoff contention. And while everybody outside of Yankees fans don't really uh, are sort of happy with the way things go. I think the Yankees would have Yankees fans would have wished to uh, see more added to this team, but you know, 
I, I, I guess you got judge back. So, you know, the offense is fixed. Um, and you've got Garrett mm-hmm. Cole, so you're, so you're fine, but the, the bullpen's looking pretty, pretty good. Yes. And the final move in terms of, uh, impact and before we get into some depth moves, Sam Mole gets traded from the Oakland A's to the Cincinnati Reds. We talk about the Reds needed to get the ball to Alexis Diaz somehow. And Sam Mole was a name that Jake, you kind of threw out last episode as a, Hey, keep an eye on this. This guy could maybe get dealt. He's got a lot of control. So we'll let you start off there. Is he someone you need to circle for holds? I mean, the Reds are obviously a good team. So they're going to have finally have someone to get the ball to, uh, Diaz. Is he someone that's, uh, will get those high leverage spots? I mentioned him more so as like a guy that could take over for the closer role in Oakland, which mm-hmm. I, I cannot believe that Trevor May didn't get <laughs> traded. That was like my one guarantee all, all off season was that Trevor May is going to get traded. So, uh, wh- whoever else there is going to be the closer afterwards. I guess that, uh, that strikeout to walk ratio was really so disgusting that teams weren't willing to give up anything. But yeah, I guess Sam, Sam Mole's definitely a lot more interesting, got more control, uh, is is 31 uh been pretty solid this year will he be good in cincinnati is another question he is their top left-handed option so that does give him a leg up in terms of getting holds because they don't have anybody else outside of alex young who's been really great this year but it as of now i think mole may be a step above him because he's more of a, a strikeout arm and maybe landing in cincinnati where i have a little bit of trust with their uh pitching development because they do sort of work with driveline and everything. So uh, I think they can pump out some guys there and the guys that he needs to jump over aren't anybody that I'm like worried about. I I think he could jump above Derek Law. I think he can jump, jump above Ian Gabo. He probably won't land above Lucas Sims, but then you're the, you're the third guy, uh, second guy after Alexis Diaz and you're the top lefty. I think he could factor into, into holds and with the raise, the way that the Reds have been playing, that's definitely a possibility for this guy to be a holds guy, but I think it's more of a uh, lower level option because I don't think he's going to be elite in any ratio strikeout or uh, uh, holds categories. Yeah. Um, I think you said it best. I, I, I think he might be, he might be a factor in, 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 for, in the holds, you know, situation behind Sims and, you know, a closer Alexis Diaz, but I don't, I don't know if he's anyone. I, I think we've already named kind of the guys that I would, I, I would target for him in deep leagues. He, he's interesting. Uh, um, it's just, you know, going to that ballpark worries me too. And just like you, you you're going to be, um, pitching half your games where right handed hitters, you know, tend to feast. So it's going to be, tricky for him a guy who's got a career era what over four or something so yeah i we'll, we'll see what happens it's it's definitely a move for the reds i was hoping the reds would do more especially their starting rotation but um they needed a lefty in the bullpen that's for sure and that's you know a decent one that they got We'll take one final break. When we get back, we will breeze through the last couple of uh, moves. Obviously, not as fancy viable, but worth noting, seeing if maybe we can find some diamonds in the rough there. But that and some more as we continue on in the pen. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, there's still plenty of uh, moves to talk about. We don't think they're as viable fantasy, so we'll breeze through them. We'll put them in groups of four, see if anybody stands out among them. So first group, Brad Hand gets traded to the Atlanta Braves, Jose Cuas to the Chicago Cubs, Manuel Rodriguez, Tampa Bay Rays, and Chris Stratton. 
goes to the completely active Texas Rangers, who might be the biggest overall winners of the entire deadline just for a pure baseball standpoint. So of those four names, Han, Cuas, Rodriguez, and Stratton, anything of note fantasy-wise? Not for this year, but next year, Manuel Rodriguez will be the race closer at some point. So just jot that down, and uh, yeah, that's all I got. Like that, <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that should be interesting to watch because I, I know he was like uh, sort of a a guy with a lot of upside that the uh, Cubs fans were, were pretty yeah. excited about the past couple of years. So that'll be interesting. I mean, anytime the Rays are interested in a reliever, you, you gotta ha- have some faith in them. But when it's like a guy like that that you already have some hype for, then it, it gets even more interesting. Mm-hmm. That's where you can start start to see guys turning into relief aces. So yeah, that one definitely is interesting. Um, I, I was sad to see Stratton go to the Rangers since I predicted him to the Rays. I actually didn't get either of my Rays predictions right. Jason Shreve, did he even get traded? I don't think so. Yeah, no, the Tigers didn't so. move any any relievers. Yeah, goofy, goofy. I know. Um, I I do want to talk about one trade, the Jose Cuas trade, but not even on the reliever side. Why did the Cubs do that? Why did they trade Nelson Velasquez? He's yeah, I, I think he's I pretty solid. Like he, maybe he's. Um, a little bit fringy, but he is young. He is a guy with a lot of power. He can play decent outfield and to get like Kuas, who, yeah, he's got a great story. That was one of the things that made him an interesting guy on the Royals last year. But this is a guy with a four and a half year age, 29 years old. Of course, he's got a lot of control because he just got called up recently. But I mean, he, he's. 29 with a four or five year a and a four two five uh xfip and i guess he does strike out a lot of batters but it's still like 27 percent. it's nothing bonkers yeah they it's must like they must see something i was gonna say they must see something because it's there isn't really a lot to like get excited about yeah with his profile uh, he doesn't throw hard he does get a lot of swings and misses with his, his slider i guess i they're gonna just probably have him maybe start throwing that thing like 75 80 percent of the time and Hopefully that works. Yeah, it's not like they won't have room in the uh, outfield as Cody Bellinger set to be a free agent as this year. And way he's playing, he's going to cost a, a nice hefty contract that I don't know the Cubs would want to deal. So Velasquez could fit right in there. So strange trade to be sure, but uh, you know, monitor Manuel Rodriguez. We'll see what uh, he can do with Tampa Bay because anyone who goes to Tampa Bay turns into a stud. Next group, Tucker, David, Tucker Davidson gets traded to the Kansas City Royals. Dominic Leone gets traded to Angels, where it may have been more of a note of the prospect the Mets required for Dominic Leone. And then two moves for the Mets, Phil Beckford and Adam Kolarik go to the New York Mets to fill the void of the uh, multiple Mets pitchers that have gotten moved. Anything fantasy-wise of note between Davidson, Leone, Bickford, or Kolarik? Uh, yeah, the Leone trade is definitely interesting um just because they got uh, the Mets got jeremiah jackson back for a guy who leon probably could have i mean i i can't believe they got a legit prospect for him let alone someone who's the angels i know the angel system's not great but it's still a top 10 prospect um for yeah leon's probably more of a waiver type guy you can use a diamond dozen i know he he's had some good swing and miss numbers in the past but yeah it's I don't, it's a strange one, and I don't think he plays into much. You know, the, the Angels' bullpen's pretty deep right now. I don't think he ends up being a holes option. Um, Bigford's kind of an interesting name to keep an eye on in the Mets, as we talked about their bullpen kind of, you know, after the top three being very light. I, I think Bigford could, could work his way into holds situations, possibly save situations towards the end of the year, depending on how they go there. So. Um, those two names are definitely interesting. Uh, Davidson to the Royals. I wonder if they stretch him out or may, I don't know, it might be too late for that, but I wonder if they give him a chance to start games again. Yeah. Bigford's interesting. Cause he's still young. He's like, uh, I think he's 28, but he's in his age 27 season. So still definitely some projectability there. The Davidson trade was really interesting. I mean, the, the angels got Dominic Leone or Leone. I'm uh, not sure how to pronounce that one. Uh, I had a, a principal in, high school named Leone and we would chant his name uh, at lunch and stuff. Leone, he also ran for mayor. So we were, oh, oh, we, were wow. we were big Leone fans. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know how to pronounce this one. Uh, I'll go with Leone. Uh, that's, that, that's a, a trade in and of itself to, to give up a prospect of that caliber for two months of a, of a pretty mediocre arm. I, I don't know what the angels are doing. And then to give up Tucker Davidson, who, on the service has not been great. 6.54 ERA, but it comes with an exit that's two runs lower and is right around the same as uh, Leon. So I don't know. And, and 
Tucker Davidson's 27 and they, they just got him. He, he's just starting his major league career. This is a guy that got, that's got control through 2027 too. And the angels are always looking for any time type of, uh, pitchers, whether that be depth guys or guys that have a lot of potential. And I think D- Davidson can sort of fill both of those, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. They, they just gave him up for, for nothing. And that, that one's sort of weird to me. Uh, he probably won't factor into anything, but. I don't think the Royals bullpen is super great. And like I said, Davidson not been great this year, but does have those pretty solid underlying metrics. So maybe he does move up and become the top left-handed option in that bullpen because I don't think uh, Austin Cox or, or Angel Zerpa are really guys that are stopping him from doing that. And finally, Sean Reynolds goes to San Diego Padres. Justin Brule goes to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Taylor Hearn to the Kansas City Royals after being acquired by the Atlanta Braves just yeah. a week before. And Edward Bizzardo to the Seattle Mariners. Strange one to me is Hearn that he gets claimed that the Braves get him and the Royals decide we want to trade for him when you maybe could have gotten him when he was available on waivers. But I don't know. The Royals are just a, a weird team. But <laughs> outside of that, anything that we should take note of among those four guys? Not particularly. I'm as a former Red Sox prospect, I Bizarro did kind of intrigue me a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I've just seen what he's been up to this year since he since he left. Yeah, he's been at, he's at okay numbers at AAA. Um, he he does have an interesting kind of pitch mix as a late inning reliever, but I don't. Yeah, the Mariners too. They they've been been doing a good job, you know, with kind of rehabilitating rehabilitating pitchers, relief pit relievers, you know, values. And I wonder if Bizarro, they could do some magic with him and turn him into a late inning option. Yeah, definitely. That that was one that intrigued me a little bit, but that like only because <laughs> of where he landed. I, I, yeah. I don't have any familiarity with Bizarro. And I, I guess he throws like mid nineties, which I, I guess every reliever does nowadays. So right. it's not really a, a big deal, but um yeah, I big big slider guy, so may, maybe they'll be able to do something with him. But none of the other guys are super interesting. I, I feel like I don't know why Sean Reynolds is is catching my eye for some reason. I, I feel like there there was something about him earlier this year. Uh, he came up with the the Marlins. Maybe it was just like a one of those interesting story guys, and I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I can't, I can't recall either. But if uh, if someone can think of something, if there's anything of note. Uh, let us know, but we'll move over to before we go to name the closer. The last couple non-trade transactions of uh, of note. We'll breeze through these uh, about eight of them, and I'll let you just tell me at the end if anything matters for fans or something you wanted to bring up. AJ Minter activated a 15-day IL for the Atlanta Braves. We know he'll play into the Braves back end. Josh Boards activated from 15 IL after biceps tendonitis. Caleb Tealbar activated for the Minnesota Twins. Andrew Nardi also activated for the Miami Marlins. Jake mentioned Ron Marnaccio opting to AAA for the New York Yankees, as well as Brian Baker for the Orioles. Brent Honeywell, sad story. We, I was waiting for him to catch on. He gets DFA'd by the San Diego Padres. I hope he finds a home somewhere else because he has showed some flashes of uh, pretty good stuff this year at times. And Jake Cousins claimed off waivers from the Milwaukee Brewers by the Houston Astros. I'm sure Minter and Spores are the ones that are the most uh, intriguing, but uh, anything from those transactions that catch your eye that are, are worth some discussion. Yeah, Minter, Spores, definitely returning. Should be targets in the whole leagues, as well as Nardi, although the Robertson edition probably does make it a little bit harder for him to, to see consistent holds chances. Um, and, you know, Deeper league, Jake Cousins, just just interesting. You know, I've always had some interest in Cousins. He showed a lot, you know big ability to get swings and misses last year for the Brewers. So, wonder He's got cool initials. Uh, he does now, doesn't he? Good first name too. Um, That's right. But um, yeah, see, we're interested to see what the Astros can do uh, too with him. Maybe they can. It's been a tough year for him. Maybe they can uh, find something to get him going again because he was really he was one of my you know more interesting you know sleeper options for holds leagues this year and then he just didn't nothing really worked out for him i was surprised to see brian baker go down i mean he's been that's pretty too, yeah. solid like mm-hmm. one of the the solid guys in that bullpen he's got a sub four era that the underlying metrics aren't great but i mean at, at this point he's sort of just got to roll with it but i don't know they've done this with other guys 
this year where, where they sent him down just to, I don't know, stave off regression or whatever. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, I, I did find out what it was about Sean Reynolds. He was a former first baseman in the minor leagues and he transitioned to pitching say. in 2021. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. So he's only been pitching for a couple of years and he was pretty solid this year at double A AA and triple A with the Marlins and now he lands with the Padres. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, well, I'm kind of for now. I want to keep a close eye on that story and see if he can uh, can catch on there. But excited to see him in turn spores back. I think uh, you know Nardi can be interesting. Like I said, Brent Honeywell is the one that not stands out fantasy, but just personal personal wise, I really wanted to catch on somewhere because mm-hmm. he's had a a tough start to his career. But it was nice to see him get some run with the Padres before the DFA. But that's going to do it for these uh, transactions. We'll add up. We'll wrap it up with a little bit of fun. End up with another edition of Name That Closer. All right. You guys ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. This closer played from 1999 to 2009. He's a left-handed pitcher. He's a southpaw. He was drafted by the Reds in the 17th round of the 1998 draft out of the University of Louisiana in Lafayette. Uh, he debuted with the Reds in July of 1999 and was traded to the Orioles at the deadline of that season. And then he pitched for Baltimore as a setup man for the next five years, with the last of those, 2004, being the season where he finally began honing his craft as one of the better relievers in baseball. That year, he had a career-high 87 innings pitch, career-high 122 strikeouts, a 2.28 ERA, and a 1.14 whip. He became the team's closer in 2005, where he saved 36 ball games with a 2.43 ERA. And then he signed with the Blue Jays in free agency following that season. That's a, that's a pretty good... Uh, season right before hitting free agency and he kept it going uh but he only saved he only closed for them for one year in 2006 that year he had a career best 1.37 era a career best 0.86 whip and a career high 38 saves so a really incredible season for him there but the reason he only closed for that one season was because he missed the majority of the following season 2007 with injury came back strong with a sub three ERA in 2008 and then fell off in 2009, wrapping up his career at the age of 33. His accolades include two all-star appearances that 2005 season with the Orioles and the 2006 season with the Blue Jays. He has no black ink. He never, never led either league in anything. And for his career, this left-handed closer had 11.6 baseball reference war with a 3.37 ERA, a 1.28 whip and 117 saves Guys, who is that closer? I actually think I know this one. Really? I think I saw him from a, an Immaculate Grid answer <laughs> somewhat recently, and it made me look at him a little bit because I remember the name, but I feel like I should know this one. I I feel like I should know this one, but I don't. My name, yeah. Let's hear it, Callan. Is it BJ Ryan? That is oh. correct. He was nasty. Yeah, he, he was. was nasty. Oh, man, that's a good one. I had no idea the 122 strikeouts one year. That's, yeah, that's uh, huge. That would play in today's baseball, let alone 2004. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, that's. It's yeah, I don't know why I looked in his career. I feel like I saw someone post a, a grid that has name. I'm like, wow, it's a, a throwback name. Mm-hmm. Just made me think about it. But yeah, that's a yeah. That three year run, that three year run from 2004 to uh, 2006 was was really really good. Yeah, he was a. Uh, Wow. Yeah, let's say the jo- the Josh Hader before the Josh before Josh sure. Hader. Mm-hmm. Jorge Julio closing out games over him is kind of a travesty, but sure. It's <laughs> Was that in Baltimore? Yeah, that's what I'm looking at right now. Oh. Yeah. I don't remember. I was like seven. <laughs> yeah, I was uh what was it two thousand three, six, five, something something like that. So, uh, Were you born in '97? I was born in '97. Yep, I'm the. Me too. All right. Wow. So I was gonna say, might have, might have baby the podcast, but maybe not. Well, <laughs> yeah. when's your birthday? March of March '97. I'm the baby of the podcast. My <laughs> birthday's this month. Well, happy, happy early birthday. Hopefully, Thank you. We'll do yes. a some little birthday celebration or something. Birthday uh, edition. Couple weeks from now. All right, <laughs> I'm ready. All right, we'll try. We'll try and remember that, <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, that was a. I'll, I'll. I won't have a hard time remembering. Well, yeah. I hope. I hope you're able to remember your birthday. That would be. That would be a tough one. 
But that's going to do it for this episode of In the Pen. If you want to discuss some more of those trades for us, as always, you can find the show on Twitter at In the Pen Pod. You can find me at Callen underscore Elslager. Jake and Rick, you guys can plug uh, your Twitters as always as we uh, get into this whole final home stretch of the fantasy baseball season. Yeah, we're in August already. A season's flown by, it feels like it. Um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at I am Rick Graham, as always. And uh, just, you know, plug it away with the um, closer and holds rankings at PitcherList. You can follow me on Twitter at Jake Crumpler. I do the weekend editions of the daily first pitch podcast for PitcherList. I also have my personal podcast, Free Baseball, and I do playing time analysis for BaseballHQ.com, which that's been really busy recently with the trade deadline. But if you want to find all of my work, it's over at CrumplerBaseball.com. Yeah, well, like you said, the season really has uh, flown by. It's crazy to think where uh, when August, we're going to get to the playoff stretch for major leagues. All three of us are... Uh, all three of our teams are in the mic- in the thick of things, so it's going to be an exciting uh, back half of the season for us. But for fantasy, this is where your your seasons live and die. You got got to find those uh, sleepers on the wire, those last couple names for saves. And you know, we're going to try and do our best to keep you on top of all the latest uh, transactions and changes when it comes to getting that last save that's going to make a difference in your row leagues or last couple points in your head to head leagues. So. As always, feel free to hit us, join the Discord, whatever it takes. But appreciate you tuning in. Next week, we'll have uh, finally our first show without some trade talks. So, lots to look forward to as we move forward here on Independent.